0: Alright you absolute legends, welcome back to another episode of A Need To Read. I'm joined today by Emily Kenway to discuss the idea of modern slavery. You may have heard the statement, there are more people enslaved today than at any other point in history. That is a misleading statement and Emily tells us why. We also go into what is meant by modern slavery, what's happening with the Rwanda flights at the moment, how human trafficking works... UK's hostile environment for migrants, how exploitative labour laws are being leveraged by big businesses, how sex work is being used as a scapegoat and how exploitation is alive and well in the UK. It is an amazing conversation, really thought provoking and I'm so happy to have had Emily on. Emily does an introduction into her work in the episode, but for now, just so you can know who she is, she writes and speaks about social issues. She is a real-life social justice warrior, which gets a negative connotation at the moment, especially if you consume media that is more controlled by the right side of politics. Social justice warriors are seen as an irritant, which really isn't the case is it when we think about it so just in case you are thinking oh my goodness a social justice warrior no social justice warriors are doing good things for the world and especially those who are less privileged than themselves and most people listening to this podcast so Emily Kenway just before we get into this podcast ...is a legend. She's been working on social justice for years, campaigning for living wages, tackling worker exploitation and she's got a Masters um, with a distinction in social and political theory. She's been published in The Guardian, The Independent, The Huffington Post and many other places on the internet. On the description of this episode, I have actually put a link to her article on Borders, Not Traffickers, Killed the 46 People in Texas. That is the most recent piece of news relating to what we spoke about today on this podcast. And Emily wrote about it on the 28th of June, which was actually just after we had recorded this podcast. So if you want to check that out, the link is in the description. The link is in the description for everything to do with Emily. you got her website, that article. You can get links to Twitter. Instagram, etc., to keep following on our work. And the book, The Truth About Modern Slavery, is available wherever you fancy getting your books from. Also in the description of this episode are the details of the sponsors of the show. That includes Athletic Greens and BetterHelp. A BetterHelp provide an online therapy service to millions of people all over the world. The world, I don't know if you've noticed, is quite an uneasy place to live at the moment. Maybe it always has been, and maybe I'm just starting to pay a little bit more attention. But I have found myself in a position quite a few times where I've wanted to have a chat with my therapist about things that are going on in the world and going on in my internal world. And over the last three years, I've used therapy quite a few times to get myself back on track and just to get to know myself and understand myself a little bit better going forward. I think it's good for everyone. But what do I know? you're the only one who can make that decision. If you think therapy is going to be right for you and you think it's a good idea to have a little dig and get to know yourself a little bit better, just head to the link in the description. That is betterhelp.com forward slash a need to read and you will get 10% off your first month. That'll put you in touch with a therapist within 48 hours of completing the application and that is Better H-E-L-P. .com forward slash a need to read. Also, if you fancy it, sign up to our email list. That's where there's going to be a book club soon and details on the new podcast. But without further ado, here is my conversation with Emily Kenway. Your book, The Truth About One's Slavery, Emily mm-hmm. Kenway, is brilliant. It's on something that I don't think many people know about. So, before we start talking about modern slavery, how is it you are interested in it and how is it you know about it?
1: Yeah, so I have spent many, many years working on social justice, so things around workers' rights. Um, I worked on the Living Wage Campaign, which is a famous national Mm -hmm. campaign in the past, Mm -hmm. and, and lots of different things. So I just worked in different charities and NGOs trying to change the conditions for people who are in the worst positions in our society and through doing that I ended up working on exploitation on exploitative work um so I used to be an advisor to the UK's first independent anti-slavery commissioner which is a government appointment and nice. actually this book came out of out of that professional experience where um as you know because you've read the book it's not just a straightforward like here's a tour of all the worst things that are happening in the work world, you know, here's a sort of modern savoury porn, right? It's not just that, it's like asking people to actually think more deeply about why these things are happening and how we can really solve them. And that came to me because I was doing this in my day job and I was really frustrated because of, as I'm sure we'll get into, like the things government was doing, which weren't at all what we actually needed to be doing, but which were being talked about in the media as if they were helpful.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny because modern slavery is something that I, I've i recently come out of a phase of listening to Douglas Murray for about four days. I listened to quite a lot of his stuff, and, and one of the things that he plays on, another kind of like right-wing intellectual journalist will be like, there are more people enslaved now than ever in history, so transatlantic slave trade, we need to shut up about, let's focus on the now. And that is quite a misleading statement, isn't it?
1: Yes. So it's a, actually a complete nonsense statement. And <laughs> uh, every time someone says it, and people say it in a really well-meaning way, and I do understand mm. that, because why should people know different? Uh, it, as you say, there's lots of important famous people who keep repeating it. Um, uh-huh. So, But it actually it, it is absolutely nonsensical. And that's because um, so historical slavery... Mm. transatlantic slave trade and um, slavery at that time meant legal ownership of another person. So I'm legally yeah. allowed to own you. Now, obviously we eradicated that in the 19th century. When I say we, I also mean enslaved people who were a major mm. part of that, not just like white people like Wilberforce.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so that stopped being allowed. You're not allowed to legally own someone else. Mm. What we didn't stop is extremely poor labour conditions, right? We didn't stop exploitation, really severe harm in, in working conditions, which is what today we're calling modern slavery, right? Mm. So when, we, when people are saying there's more slaves now than ever before, there are more people now than ever before, or firstly. Like,
0: Loads you know, more. <laughs> you
1: know, the population has grown across the world, and they're then comparing apples with oranges, Right, And a really good way of thinking about this is that when historical slavery ended uh, with these laws in the 19th century that said, okay, you can no longer own someone legally, so slavery is abolished, what actually happened was loads of work was created that was highly exploitative and today would be called modern slavery. So, for example, um, on the plantations in colonised countries, the plantation owners suddenly found, well, I don't have a slave workforce anymore, right? So my profit is going to be affected. So what did they do? They created this new trade in human beings, pejoratively called the coolie Trade, which saw millions of Indians and Chinese people brought over to colonized plantations to do work under very similarly awful conditions for like almost no pay, often with beatings and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would call that, today we would call that a form of modern slavery, which was created by abolishing historical slavery. So the point is like, not to be like, oh, you know, get the dictionary out, the definition's wrong. (laughs) It's that when we have that actual knowledge, we start to see, hang on, the problem then doesn't seem to be slavery per se, right? Because there was historical slavery and then there's still this like, severe exploitation coming through. So there's actually a continuous threat all the way through. Yeah. And that suggests the problem is actually the economic system, the political system that relies on having impoverished, abusable workers, often of particular races or nationalities, in order to make profit yeah um so it's it's about understanding uh that when people make that statement it's not only wrong but it's like telling us completely the wrong message about the problem
0: yeah so it's like it's it's like apples and oranges but then there's loads of other fruit like within that Mm. in in to use to use that metaphor and that ranges from uh like farm farm work to Mm -hmm. people working in factories um
1: yeah so construction, cleaning, um, some in the sex industry, but I should say that's just like lots of other industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I suppose it's important for me to explain what modern slavery means. Would that be useful yeah. if people don't? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so modern slavery is um a term that's become really popular over the last decade or two, and um, partly because it's quite like snappy. It's you know it's sensationalist. So obviously the media it's um, taken it and run with it right you're going to read a story that says modern slaves found or whatever um in so factually it's an umbrella term for a range of severely exploitative circumstances right which means not just like someone's not got their holiday pay it's more yeah. extreme than that and so if you think of it as like an umbrella term a catchall term underneath it are these other terms people will have heard. So human trafficking is one of those. So that's a type of modern slavery that involves movement. Okay. Um, and there's also things like forced labour. So that's like static, you're fixed there. Um, domestic servitude, which is in a private household Okay. and so on. So, um, yeah, it's a, a term that encapsulates all of these particularly bad working conditions.
0: Yeah. So it's not just like when when your boss is like, please work through your break. It's it's more of a case of like, hey, please work through the night.
1: Yes, exactly. Although also your boss shouldn't be saying the
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If only we had a union day, we could tell them to stop mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a, well, it's a horrible thing to read about in the nicest way possible, Emily, because mm. um, like human trafficking, if we look at the news in the last couple of days, like we're... 15th of June now and the Rwandan flight that was meant to take place did not take place. Mm. And the the reason that those refugees were being sort of like shipped off to Rwanda, right? Was because the UK feared human trafficking.
1: I mean, that's not the reason. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. But like it's kind of like that. I've I've seen that being quoted and and like thrown around or yeah. spoken about. I know that there's there's some moral morally empty people in government who who probably shielding the real reason to that but like that kind of human trafficking is what like people in the uk kind of fear i guess so coming from like eastern europe Mm -hmm. or, or like syria something like that and then being trafficked into the uk and people are assuming that that's um everyone and then that's the case with everyone so yeah off to it, Rwanda I hope I haven't lost you there because I've almost lost myself
1: No I think it's really important that we talk about this particular topic because hmm. um well what the British government is doing is is hideous but also the way that they use the idea of human trafficking is something I talk about in the book yes. um and is is like happening with this Rwanda situation as well and has happened loads of times So basically um the best way of thinking about human trafficking today is that there isn't much of it that's kidnapping or abduction, right? So in your mind, when you hear human trafficking, you will, like everyone, will tend to think of like a baddie, like a villain, right? like the film taken people have often seen. And yeah. you have this idea that there's some kind of baddie capturing usually a like white, delicate woman and and, and carting them off to another country. That's the kind of classic fairy tale version of trafficking. In reality, most trafficking in the world today is not that. It is migration gone wrong, which means someone has tried to migrate to another country to build a better life or because they're escaping war, whatever it might be. Um, and because there aren't legal and safe pathways to do that, so from our perspective in the UK, we know people can't get over here except in like boats and lorries where they may lose their lives. Mm. Because there aren't ways to do that safely, they will often end up being trafficked, which means they might have paid someone to try to smuggle them across borders, but that person then essentially has a lot of control over them, right? Because yeah. the that migrant is moving illegally and yeah. therefore can't access any help, can't access any networks, can't work legally. So they're they're like sitting prey to yeah. be abused. So often people have try to migrate and then essentially end up being forced into exploitation as part of that process because like you and me they can't just get you know on a flight um so 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 the thing to understand then is if we hear governments saying human trafficking is a big risk to our borders it's a big risk to our shores we need to have harder borders and legislate against migrants and deport them to Rwanda. The reason that they're doing that is because they want us to think the problem is these big, bad traffickers, right? They want us to think there's some guy, which most people will imagine to be a non-white racialized man, because that's what the media tends to to, uh, propagate. There's some guy or some gang, right? Eastern European gang, that's one of them. Yeah. And they are a threat to us. And so what that does is stop us asking questions about border policy, about why people coming from Syria, from Afghanistan, from Iraq, and so on, can't just get here through a sensible pathway. Yeah. Um, and why. So we, we don't ask that question because we think, well, the problem is just traffickers, right? And they're bad. So hopefully, like, criminal justice will find them. Yeah. Um. And I'll just give I'll just give one example that is so perfect for showing people this that's that's in the book. Yeah. So you might remember at the end of October 2019, 39 Vietnamese people were found dead in the back of a lorry in Essex. Yeah. Um. So when that happened, I was uh, working in a job on tackling trafficking, and I started getting a lot of phone calls from. Um, news producers tv and radio producers and and journalists wanting comments on what had happened you know the news had broken mm-hmm. i was watching it on bbc happening live and i was really confused about why they were calling me because these people had died and we didn't know what had happened to them it was likely that they didn't have the right documentation right because they were vietnamese that was most yeah. on the, in the lorry you don't Meeting
0: not the Larry because you got a party. Yeah,
1: but we didn't actually know what had happened to them, and we didn't know whether it was trafficking, which means they're being exploited, or smuggling, which means they're just being moved across borders, right? Like you would yeah. move drugs or whatever. Yeah, um, maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, tell everyone.
1: Yeah, um, right. So we, so we didn't know what had happened, but I realised quickly politicians were suggesting that this was trafficking straight away why were they doing that because they needed the public to think that they were appalled as well they needed the public to think this is the fault of some bad guys it's not the fault of the borders a month later in exactly the same place in Essex 11 men were found in the back of a lorry um at at this time Uh, they thankfully opened the doors in time and the men were still alive, but struggling to breathe.
0: Mm.
1: These men, exactly the same situation, right? Except that they're alive. These men were all arrested on the spot for immigration offences. So that just shows you the reason that politicians say this is trafficking is to try to deflect attention from their policies. But when they don't have their bodies on their hands, they're very happy to just arrest people. The Rwanda stuff has nothing to do with trafficking. It is a hundred percent to do with Pretty Patel, in my opinion. I will say legally, being a psychopath, and also, <laughs> um, and also our, our hostile environment to migrants. This obsession people have with migrants being a problem, and obviously yeah. that's been, been around for a long time.
0: Yeah, Pretty Patel is such a legend. I'll just balance it out, just in case anyone. Um, no she's obviously not a legend um (laughs) it's it's bizarre and you said that it kind of works like if if people listening are like oh surely it's it's not the uk government actually doing that it's like they they didn't want to sign up for the european convention against trafficking human beings right uh, quite a while ago
1: yeah, so this goes all the way back. That was in the mid 2000s, the Council of Europe Convention against Trafficking in Human Beings. They named yeah. it very snappily. Um, but yeah, basically, uh, loads of European countries had signed up, and our government was trying to say they wouldn't because they were scared that if they signed up, it would mean they had to provide support to victims of trafficking. So these are people who've been through like horrific situations, right? Yeah. They would have had to provide like counseling, medical treatment and so on. And they didn't want to sign up to that in case it created what was known as a pull factor. So basically people coming here pretending to be trafficking victims. There's no evidence that that happens. They, they still say this about stuff, by the way. There's absolutely no evidence that that happens, that people pretend to be trafficking victims um, I th- they obviously just don't want to kind of spend the money and, and have to deal with the problem.
0: Yeah. God, it's berserk. It's, it's not nice to know this stuff.
1: It's, no, I it's totally much just... easier to just swallow the like media line, like we're fighting yeah. against modern slavery than to understand what's really going on.
0: Yeah. And you said it's, it's quite a lot to do with like the Conservative Party in, in general, or Theresa May, um, like leveraged yeah. the modern slavery term. To, to her advantage right how, how did that manifest
1: yeah so it's really interesting when you when when people sit back one of the first things I say to people about this topic is often it may not be everything you think it is because since when has Theresa May seemed to care about migrants and people in the poorest part of our economy like that's not what she's known for in her politics so why did she allegedly bring in this hugely compassionate um work on modern slavery which she did in 2015 we passed um the law called the modern slavery act first in the world that, that was specifically about modern slavery so so what is with that like disconnect between what we see generally from her and then suddenly she cares about this thing and what you if you um if you actually look at what happened while she was Home Secretary and then Prime Minister, Theresa May brought in a series of laws on immigration which collectively are known as the hostile environment and their purpose is to try to make life as unpleasant as possible for any undocumented, by which I mean illegal, but I don't yeah. want to illegal, yeah. undocumented people here in the UK to make them leave of their own accord. So it does things like... It makes it um, a criminal offence for them to work and their employer, if found to be employing them, can also be charged. Uh, it requires landlords to check whether they have the right to be in the UK and you're not allowed to rent to them if they don't. It required the driving uh, licence agency to check them, like all this stuff. So it was like having almost like, you know, we read about from the past, like the in, um, Second World War and stuff, kind of having people in your street checking that you're actually allowed to be here. So it sort yeah. of moved the borders into everyday life instead of just at the airports. Well, so she brought in these laws and she partly brought them in, maybe because she enjoys doing that kind of thing, I don't know, but also because at that time, UKIP were doing really well and UKIP are obviously very anti-migrant. Yeah. And so the Tories were seeing some of their supporters going to UKIP. So they needed to show yeah. this strong stand against migration so she brings in these laws however they also have the conservatives also have like more kind of compassionate individuals and people who are swing voters so they could go to labor all the time, yeah, yeah. and they need to win those votes so what does she do sandwiched in between these horrible immigration bills she brings in the modern slavery act and she starts to deploy it in her speeches by saying we're tough on migrants, look at all of these amazing laws, you New vote for us, but we do the right thing where it counts. Here's our modern slavery bill. Now, the problem with that is this, in a nutshell, that hostile environment causes modern slavery. So we know absolutely 100% from loads of research, the police know, everyone knows, when you criminalize migrants, you push them into exploitative work because they can't work in legal sectors. And we know that some dodgy employers deliberately recruit undocumented people because they don't have to pay them the minimum wage because they don't have to stick to certain working hours and so on. So you're actually creating it. So it's it's completely absurd.
0: Yeah, so it's like a real systemic thing. Obviously, it doesn't yeah. count if you're an oligarch. You get your rights come in.
1: <laughs> yeah, so this is a really important thing. I think often... You know, we talk about migrants as if it's, like, one, like, big group of people. And what yeah. we're really talking about is, like, poor migrants from, like, the wrong countries, so to speak, mm. who are experiencing these harms. Whereas, yeah, or an architect from Norway is fine, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, like, very, um, it's not just, migrants aren't walking around just being vulnerable. It's, like, the policy and the law that makes them vulnerable.
0: It's, uh, it's yeah it's mad and and you you mentioned in in the book about how like it's not just our current actions today that are making it possible that people get exploited but it's like in the past our imperial past creating these poor living conditions in the countries that we were in which means people are like well i I don't want to be here so i'll go there that's like my intention and then and then you pay someone. And then you get exploited, you have to work off that debt, you're getting paid pittance. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's just, I guess, a a cycle of that all starting because we couldn't stay on our island. Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah. It's a a really interesting aspect, you know, that um, never seems to get proper um, kind of airtime of, like, why do people want to come to the UK, right? And... um. We conveniently overlook the fact that, as you say, firstly, when we were colonising other countries, part of that process was to make their economies work for us, as in to uh, yeah. extract the value. And this still happens with um, like, Global North companies not paying taxes in the countries where they're taking resources out of. Yeah. Um, so, So you have all these countries that were colonised whose indigenous populations were enslaved or impoverished. And that has like long-term effects. That doesn't just stop when we decide to stop colonising somewhere. And then you have more contemporary things where um, you have international bodies like the IMF. I, I won't go into this in depth, but that, um, that, that force economic programmes on poorer countries which make them restructure their economies in favor of the the global system, but not what's best for the poorest people there, basically. Um, and the other thing I'd say is, and I've encountered this in, in meetings over the years where I'll be talking to big companies or like big investment houses that own lots of shares in our major, major companies. Yeah. And they'll say something about how, well, it's better if production, if factories can start being moved to... Cambodia instead of, say, Vietnam, like as an example, because the labor rights are worse in Cambodia, so it will be cheaper to site production there. So it's, it's an interesting question. Like, you know, when you look at a label and it says where it was made, yeah. why did whatever company it is choose to have a supplier there? And part of that choice is cost. And cost is partly about minimum wages, about hours people are allowed to work, whether they have maternity pay, sick pay, and so on. So it, we're in this like web, you know, and, and that doesn't get thought about properly.
0: It's so fucked, isn't it, Emily? Yeah. <laughs> it's it, it fucked. <laughs> like, oh, it's such a weird world to think about.
1: It's really infuriating once you start understanding it.
0: It's greed on our part, yeah. essentially, that forces this to happen. Not.
1: Yeah. It's yeah.
0: Optimism to kind of like put it on the individual. That's kind of what Theresa May did, right? Is like, say, choose where you shop a bit better, guys. Like, come on, do your part. Um, yeah.
1: She's hilarious um, in a, in a, like, yeah, in an annoying way on this because her obsession throughout so many speeches is to say, like, consumers are the answer. In one of her speeches that I quote in the book, she says, consumers are more powerful than businesses or governments to end modern slavery. You're like, really? Am I? I don't think that's true. Um, And the the reason she says this, and lots of people Mm -hmm. say this, is that it stops us asking questions about the solutions that are not put on the table. And I think this is a really good rule of thumb for everything, right? If someone's saying to you, well, the solution to this big problem is deport people to Rwanda or whatever it might be, you know, what solutions haven't been even brought into the agenda, you know, like what's just not allowed to be talked about. Um, yeah. And so with, with Theresa May and, and still Boris and everyone with consumers, what, it, what that does is mean that um, companies don't need to be regulated. Companies yeah. don't need to be forced to take responsibility for citing production in countries with low labour rights or for like, you know, abusing workers or whatever it is. It's our it's our job to police the entire market. Um, And it makes no sense if you think about it practically, like how would you begin to do this as a shopper? Like when you go in the supermarket, how are you going to choose a cereal? Are you going to like try and find out what the supermarket says about modern slavery or the brand that made that cereal or the manufacturer of that cereal or the factory that put it together or the plantation where some of the ingredients are from, like how are you going to do that, and how are you going to know what all of their documents mean anyway? Like it's not possible.
0: Yeah. Like it goes, it goes so far, and I think you you said in the book about how like people don't want to read a long modern slavery statement and businesses. No, they don't. Its advantage.
1: Yeah, and they also won't know what it means. And I don't mean that in a rude way. I, like these are PR professionals that write these yeah. things. So I've I've spent so much time reading these bloody things, and you have to go and check, like cross-check everything and like what the labor laws are in that country that they're talking about and whether that's overtime And is that really what's actually going on
0: there or is that just what they're talking about? And also it's like, it's, it's kind of a case like, yeah, maybe the labor laws are a little bit more lenient over there, but it's like these people who own these businesses or, or who work in, in these businesses relatively high up should kind of know that like, just because it's the law doesn't really make it okay.
1: Right. And also we should ask questions about, um, like profit and where the money is being distributed. Because at the end of the day, those workers at the bottom of our global economy are producing the goods that we are using. Right. And they are making some people a huge amount of money. You know, I think it's Oxfam that every so often puts out this like horrible statistic about how quickly the richest people are accruing more money and how everything else is like remaining the same for everyone else. So yeah. it's it's like, yes, countries are different, but it doesn't really work very well if some countries are hoarding everything, especially if we're gonna start saying we don't want people to move to other countries, right? You can't have yeah. both.
0: Yeah, you can't just like fuck one country up and then say no one's allowed in yours because it's so awesome.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's strange. And um they use it as like a the modern slavery as a guise essentially to get in the way of sex work right as mm. well which yeah. is uh I've, I've had a former sex worker on the podcast before and um she like spoke quite openly about it she didn't really think anyone should do it now from from her experiences with it <laughs> um but it's you're split an audience talking about sex work right yeah yeah some people are like oh my god they could never do that and you said uh in your book that like there's a certain bo- like a body official body I don't know who say any woman who like sells sex is yeah. being exploited is yeah. is being like oppressed so even these like official bodies can't kind of like agree on it um but how, how is sex work being used as like a scapegoat
1: yeah so it's such an important topic and I'm really glad you're asking about it um because trafficking comes into this this space in a really important and problematic way. So, a couple of things, firstly, that I'd say is, um, I I know a lot of people who have been or are sex workers, and of course, lots of people don't love that job. It's it's a, it, it's like many jobs. You know, it can be really unpleasant and at times dangerous, and there are many jobs like that, and often people in better parts of the economy aren't aware that, that it's not a yeah. in being like that. I'd recommend people go and read about what happens on tomato fields in Italy, for example, to tomato pickers. Um, but um, And so the, the thing here is not um, it's not, is it good or bad to do sex work? It's that sex work happens, mm-hmm. and it happens for particular reasons. So funnily enough people need to earn money and we don't have a sensible system of social security so like universal credit is fucked and also a huge number of sex workers in the UK are single parents and we don't have enough part-time flexible work we don't have free childcare, so on and so forth right so Mm -hmm. sex work happens because of all of these underlying factors so the question then becomes not is that good or bad but how do we make it as safe as possible? So there's an amazing um, sex worker activist called Juno Mack who says, you're asking the wrong question if you're saying, um, would you want your child to do sex work, your adult child, mm. to do sex work? That's not the right question. You should be saying, your daughter is doing sex work. How do you keep her safe? Yeah, right. Because that's the world that we live in. If we don't want to live in that world, we have to change those things that I outlined before about why sex work happens. Yeah. So, with this topic of trafficking and modern slavery, there have always been lots of groups of people who want to eradicate and abolish sex work. Full stop. So, like church uh, movements, without changing, without changing those underlying economic problems that that cause it. Right. So, just eradicate it because it's exploitative. It's all rape in their opinion, and it's um, uh-huh. immoral. Yeah, it's unholy, right? Um, and so those groups of people, it's not not just religious people, but also you find it with people who are called radical feminists. Those groups of people um, have essentially co-opted the, the problem of trafficking. So they've found trafficking. Okay, there's some trafficking in the sex industry, which there is, as there is in agriculture, cleaning, domestic work, yeah. etc. cetera. Um, okay, so now we say you have to eradicate sex work because all sex work is trafficking. So that's what they've done. So you will see consistently, people will say sex trafficking, da, 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 da. And they mean sex work as a whole. Yeah, And, and like big US politicians do this. It's a, it's a moral standpoint. Now, the problem there is that if you actually understand trafficking and exploitation and you want to stop it, the last thing you should ever do is push potential victims into the shadows by making their industry criminal yeah. because obviously they have no rights there. They can't reach out for support from the authorities or from whoever, and it makes it really attractive for criminal um, elements because you've basically got this whole population of workers that you can abuse and force to accept all conditions, right? There's, it's like switching off the lights somewhere And being like, well, let's just, now we can't see it. Everything's clean, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And so currently there's this law that's become really popular. It's called different things. It's called the sex purchase ban, sex buyer law, Nordic model. And it is um, in more and more countries. And it's um, promoted by these people that I'm talking about. And it says that it criminalizes only the clients, the customers, right? So it, it makes it illegal to buy sexual services. And so they say that will eradicate the sex industry, but it won't make the women, um, you know, criminalised themselves because they're, you know, exploited, blah, blah, blah. Now, yes. in reality... That well, was I was the- going to
0: say, and that's, that's a bad thing, right? It's like it actually turns out that statistically yeah. it makes things worse for the women because... Yeah or or whoever's doing the sex work yeah, yeah. Um, the the seller uh, the merchant the uh for, for it being illegal for the buyer makes them want to be more shady be a bit more sneaky go to places that are unsafe and probably far away from wherever they can get caught right
1: yeah exactly if you if you want to buy this illegal product this illegal service mm. um then you're going to try and not be seen buying that thing. So what we see in countries where this has come in, and there's loads of rigorous evidence on this, is that there's more violence against sex workers because they're having to work in more dangerous places. They're having to say yes to providing services they don't want to provide, and so on. Um, Perhaps most importantly, it still actually criminalises the women. Because if you're a policeman, right, think about this. You're a policeman, and you um, know you can arrest men who are buying sex usually men then you will go and park up outside a brothel and just arrest the clients as they come out this happens in countries where there's law is what does that mean for the women inside oh okay well they haven't been arrested themselves but you've just taken away their livelihood so they are being criminalized by proxy if not directly so again it doesn't do anything to solve these underlying things And there is absolutely no evidence that it reduces trafficking in the sex industry either. And I think that's really important to say. Um, If we decriminalized sex work, so we make it legal to sell sex, legal for women to work together for safety, legal for people to say that they're a sex worker, then... Essentially, we have the best chance of reducing trafficking in the sex industry because we bring light into it. We bring sunlight in, right? We can see what's going on. People who are there consensually can say that they are rather than having to avoid policing and so on and can actually work with the authorities to help identify women who are in trouble. Um, And that's the, the best possible answer. You know, there are pimps who tell trafficked women you can't go to the police. Because what you're doing is illegal. Yes. Of so without a shadow of a doubt, we need to decriminalize sex work. That does not mean decriminalizing rape or trafficking. It means decriminalizing someone choosing <clears throat> to sell sex.
0: And and that essentially like will stop what was it I was gonna say. I've lost that then.
1: It will stop. Um, predominantly women, but as you say, totally not only women. It will stop people in this sector having no legal rights, being unable to seek help if they need it, and it will stop police wasting their time on consensual sex workers who are getting raided regularly in their brothels for absolutely no reason. You know, that's that's police doing that instead of coming to find out who burgled your house for a start.
0: Yes, and and also it's a case of like we mustn't forget some like not everyone who buys sex is a Dirty old pervert like we can we can say that that's it's kind of a, it's their choice right and and they don't want to currently tell on not tell on not snitch um but report people who they think might be unsafe because of either shame about the act because it's it's illegal or 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 mm-hmm. shameful um and that puts the women in danger right because they're not getting the help from people who actually might help them, who see them in their place of work and can report to say, this is what it's like. This is what I saw.
1: Yeah. So one of the organisations I interviewed in the book is called the English Collective of Prostitutes. And they're an incredible organisation that um, run by and for sex workers who organise for their rights and campaign and stuff. And I didn't realise this before I interviewed them, even though I've known them for quite a few years, they do have customers sometimes saying to them um i think this person is in trouble but the that customer can't say that to the authorities right because they don't want them to be deported or arrested or whatever and actually there are forums online for customers of sex workers where they review and rate sex workers which i will not name but in those forums yeah. you can find posts where they're warning each other off particular sex workers because they think that they've been trafficked um like obviously not all people care about that yeah. just like not all people care about buying fast fashion when they un- even though they understand yeah. like where it comes from but there are incidents where customers would probably flag problems to police but cannot
0: yeah that's fucked so we can de- decriminalize <laughs> is that it. the summary this episode it is uh-huh. it really yeah it is like well i that's what i felt like and like, yeah. every like three or four pages oh that's fucked god that's fucked oh my god i wish i didn't know that but i guess i'm glad i do so like how how do we get that decriminalized i guess you're you're the one for this you're the activist on this what was what, what the
1: well so there was like amazing <laughs> yeah there's amazing, There's lots of amazing activists working on this. There's a UK-wide campaign for sex workers and like, allied people like academics and whoever working on this called Decrim Now that people can find on Twitter and follow and sign up to. There's a website which has really useful like, FAQs and stuff. So that's Decrim Now. And, and I think it's going to be really hard. I'm not going to lie. It's going to be really hard to win this. It's going to take a long time. But I think more and more people are realising that this makes sense in terms of having the best chance of giving people their rights. That's but it true. will depend on politicians.
0: Is there a road in Leeds?
1: Yeah. Like a street
0: where it's decriminalised on that so street?
1: There are, so this is one of the things where um, like terminology starts getting really irritating. So I, sex work, sex work policy is one of those areas where you're like, come on, guys, we have to rename some of this stuff. So decriminalization means removing laws that criminalize um, things and not imposing additional special restrictions on sex workers that other people don't have. Legalization means making sex work legal, but imposing additional regulations. So In some countries in Europe, they have legalisation. And what that means is you have to register as a sex worker with your name. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have like monthly health checks as a sex worker. So like specifically for you as a sex worker. And you're only allowed to work in licensed brothels rather than, for example, with your friends in an in a shared arrangement that actually works around your childcare. so many people want decriminalization because they don't want another really restrictive regime that is like shaming and stuff
0: yeah that's is that like a place like Amsterdam is that
1: yeah yeah that's exactly in Amsterdam so I should say in Leeds they've like piloted allowing sex work to take place but it's not like perfect and of course um there's more work to do than that, Mike. Because so if you just like make one street, the sex work street in a city, obviously yes. that's going to become quite weird for people who live there and there have been problems with people who live there being very angry about it, which I understand, but the problem is systemic. It's not the sex workers. The sex workers are not the problem.
0: <laughs> no, yeah. Oh, well, it's, it's good that you're shining a light on it. I think it's definitely an important topic um, to look into. There's one more thing I wanted to talk mm-hmm. about, and it's John Lewis. Well, it's not John Lewis, it's Cozy Sleep. Because something happened in the UK to Mm. do with the Hungarian workers?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, in the mid-2010s, and and it went to court in 2016, there were found to be 42 Hungarian men making beds in a couple of factories uh, in West Yorkshire. And they were making these beds for high street brands like John Lewis and and Dunnell Mill and and other ones. And those men had been made to live in dirty, cramped conditions. They were working up to 16 hours a day, sometimes seven days a week. Their pay, if we can even call it that, was about 10 to 20 pounds a week. Mm. Um, so, and they've been trafficked. It's a classic trafficking case. They'd been approached in their home country of Hungary, promised really good work in the UK, brought over here and on arrival had their ID and their bank cards, any money, et cetera, confiscated. And there they were in West Yorkshire without any ID. So again, we come back to immigration policy. They don't want to get on a train because they're going to get arrested because they're not meant yeah. to be here. Um, you know, they, they they have no support network. So they were stuck there. Um, and being used as essentially a kind of enslaved workforce. And what's interesting here, I mean, obviously that's horrific um, and people need to realise it happens in the UK and not just in other countries. But what's interesting is that some of the big high street brands that were selling these beds had done audits, like checks on the company not that long before and had not found these problems. And it's a perfect, I go into it more in the book, but it's a perfect example of how... When we leave stuff voluntarily up to brands to like go in occasionally somewhere, tick some boxes, it's not in their interest to find problems, right? Because it's going to slow down production, it's going to cost money. Then we end up with these kinds of situations not being identified. Whereas if we had funded labor inspectors properly who could go out and check on workplaces, are you being paid the minimum wage? Are you getting, you know, sick pay, whatever? If we made sure people have access to support no matter what their immigration status, and if we made sure unions were in place in factories so that workers could raise the flag themselves instead of wait for these shitty audits to come around, then this problem wouldn't be happening. So it's a perfect example of how everything is rigged in favor of the corporate system. And then you have people like Theresa May being like, you know, shop slavery free. Well, how on the hell are you going to do that, you know, if this is not even being picked up when it's this patent?
0: And someone like John Lewis as well.
1: I know. Yeah, we I do love John Lewis. That. It's, not, <laughs> we should say, it's, you know, it's it's a supply chain issue.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, no, totally. How how can we know? And how companies today have such massive supply chains that they don't know themselves. And that's the yeah. problem.
0: It's it's like, it's, it is obviously time for like a change in that. And for people to kind of like speak up, do you know, um, Slavoj Yeah, Zizek.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Zizek.
0: yeah. Um, there was something he said that like really interested me on one, like short YouTube clip I'd seen of him and he was speaking to someone and he was like, yes, maybe we do need an uprising to change this. And she was like, oh, why would we need to get violence? He's like, maybe you should think about how much violence goes on already. To keep things as they are,
1: one hundred percent right. Like the Rwanda, like what goes on. I don't. If you read about what goes on in our immigration detention centres in the UK, yeah. like the ex- people with PTSD in there, women who've experienced rape and and all of these things have been watched, you know, changing by male guards. Like these are horrific things that are happening, yeah. um, and
0: forced labour as well. Like and
1: forced oh, labour, pound, yeah. pound an
0: hour. It's not. It's not that forced. It's just a pound an hour.
1: Right. <laughs> Right, right. And like and, and you know, just people, um cost of living crisis. like people there are gonna be loads of pensioners who are who freeze to death this winter. Mm-hmm. Like there's all these forms of violence that aren't you walking along with a baseball bat and hitting someone over the head, but they are forms yeah. of like state created violence.
0: Yeah. Such an awesome country, isn't it? England I used to think it was great you know yeah. I started learning about it
1: <laughs> don't learn no but see, I think if I think one of the beautiful things about like obviously um you know you've read the book and it, it is full of things where you're like oh my god this is what's happening and like the the blinkers fall from your eyes but I think once you know those things you can start to find like community and solidarity in different kinds of groups so like for me I understand immigration policy. I wrote about it in the book. It is absolutely fucked, like you say. So I'm part of my local anti-raids group, which is trying to stop deportations physically, right? Yeah. Like there are ways you can then start to feel like you're part of building a better world and you're not lying to yourself about what's going on.
0: Yeah, it is such a, put the blinkers on. And it's such a shame because there's so much stuff that you need blinkers on for if you want to just kind of be yeah. ignorant and just walk around and be all happy and jolly and i think there's obviously some like deep systemic lies that have gone into making people think that as like the default that everything's mm. great in england and it's fantastic when the reality is kind of on the contrary um,
1: yeah and it's okay to have to take a pause from learning you know from all these things that can get really overwhelming so you have to yes. like find your issue i think find your issue or your issues and get active and know you're playing your part on that but you can't solve everything because otherwise everyone will just like lie down and be like i can't take it
0: <laughs> yeah it's funny you say that because i like my next interview next week uh is about uh, speaking with a guy he's actually in glasgow not too far from ah. you um he's a suicide researcher so i've <laughs> oh. i've got all of the good topics um over this couple of weeks but it's it's great to learn about this stuff and what are you going to write anything else? Anything else coming from you? Yeah, my next book. Well, where can people find your work? What, what are you up to
1: <laughs> at um,
0: the moment?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so my next book's out in April next year. I just finished writing it and it's about care. So talking about the care crisis, I spent about three or four years being the main carer for my mum. And so I've woven together my personal experience doing that with talking to carers around the world and looking at the kind of deep, deep causes of why we've got this care crisis and how we can yeah. actually solve it so that's my next big thing
0: wow oh that would be interesting well i hope you can get me a copy <laughs>
1: i can get you a copy <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and yeah is it where where can people like find your work to keep yeah up to date
1: so i'm on twitter and kenway very easy to remember, and I'm on Instagram. This is Emily Kenway, so they're probably the best places. I do have a website that also has all like lots of my published work on it, which is emilykenway.com. And my book should be for sale at all the usual online places. Always advise people not to use the tax dodger that yeah. people like to use. Which one? Uh, bookshop. Uh, it's, which one? <laughs> uh, bookshop.org is amazing, and you you support ind- independent bookshops by shopping there.
0: Okay. All right, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Emily. It's been great to chat to you.
1: You too. Thank you very much.
0: Did you enjoy that? If you did enjoy it, I dare you, you cannot deny this dare, to leave me a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify or share it with your friends, your real life friends, your internet friends or friends that you've just made up. I'm not fussy. I just need you to share it and then I'll just keep doing them good deal i love you all you're absolute legends all all the details for everything that you need in the description of this episode i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back next week love you all so 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 much